Hello everyone and welcome to the Cave to the Cross Apologetics. I'm Patrick. And I'm Tony. And this uh, podcast that we're doing, this uh, series that uh, we're a part of, we, uh, we're moving out of Plato's Cave, we're being drawn to the cross, and we're looking at um, uh, theological and philosophical books that uh, you might not have the time to read or you might get confused about, and so... Uh, we're just a couple of regular guys who are sitting down, cracking open the books, and doing the hard work for you. So, right. thanks for joining us. Yeah. So the book that we're considering uh, this time again is "Keeping Faith in the Age of Reason: Refuting Alleged Bible Contradictions" by uh, Jason Lyle. Mm-hmm. And so Jason Lyle goes through uh, actually several hundred, four hundred twenty of them. Yeah. yeah. Uh, alleged contradictions. And he he is arguing that they are not really contradictions, mm-hmm. right? That, and he's given us a list of the types of errors that folks who are claiming these are contradictions are making. And so we're kind of working our way through these and seeing uh, seeing what Jason Lyle has to say. Yeah, picking out a few, expanding upon what he's done, and um, yeah, so far uh, the critics have zero. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. we haven't found one yet. Right. So we worked our way to uh, his chapter on timing of events. Mm-hmm. So this is going to be an issue of, you know, the critics are saying, hey, these two things contradict each other because the times don't work. They mm-hmm. don't match or something like yeah, that. Two different authors are talking about two different times but saying the same thing. Or here's an event that uh, seems to be going on in, in two different uh, time fields that different authors are talking about. So right. clearly yeah. that the authors haven't colluded together, although they seem to collude in a lot of other things, <laughs> but I guess we just throw those collusions out in, in favor of not colluding. That's right, yeah. when, when it's convenient. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, the first one we want to take a look at, uh, this one is actually... So he's as uh, you've probably picked up, he's he's numbered all of these, and so this is actually number one hundred and fourteen. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of where we've worked our way to. And this one says, "Here's the question: When did the temple curtain rip? Right? When did it rip?" Luke uh, twenty-three indicates that it happened before the death of Christ, which disagrees with Matthew twenty-seven and Mark fifteen. So when did the temple uh, curtain rip. Yeah. Uh, so the scripture says uh, for Luke 23, while the sunlight failed, uh, end of sentence, and the curtain of the temple is torn in two, then Jesus calling out with a loud voice said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. And having said that, he breathed his last breath, or breathed his last. In Matthew 27, Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple is torn in two. From top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. And then Mark says, And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. So uh, it seems like curtain is uh, in Matthew and Mark being torn after the, the crying out, uh, but Luke has it um, happening, appears before um, Jesus calls out and, and dies. Mm-hmm. What is going on? Yeah. Well, so what Lyle tells us, he says, this is a failure to read the text carefully, and he calls it specious reasoning. Mm -hmm. Right? The temple veil, he says, was torn from top to bottom at the time of Christ's death. Right? 
And so, uh, and of course, all three confirm that at mm -hmm. Christ's death is when the temple was torn. Right. Right. So he says the critic seems to have erroneously assumed that the order in which something happened is uh, in which something is mentioned. Right. Right. Yeah. In scripture is the order in which it happened. And uh, but of course, there's no rational basis for this assumption. Uh, you know, we could have. He suggests there are various and sundry ways to, to um, have counterexamples of that. Hmm. So the idea here is that, you know, just because this mentioned be first doesn't necessarily mean that it happened first. It clearly happened at the time of Christ's death, right? The temple was torn. Christ cried out. Cri when Christ cried out, the temple was torn. Yeah. And we, we've kind of mentioned this before, too. There, This is being written by different types of authors uh you know like luke being greek trained so he'd write in more what kind of we would consider westernized sense uh matthew being jewish would tend to focus on um not so much chronological order of events but kind of trying to get big pictures in there so yeah. trying to trying to always pin pinpoint down when events took place in things um depending on who the author is uh might be more difficult than what we're used to because mm -hmm. we tend to think how things are written tend to uh, carry out in a chronological event which then you i mean you ha you have this for movies so you have um uh, memento being one where you're not quite sure of how the story is taking place because it's being told in such a uh, a, a literally a backwards format mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. you're so used to watching movies in that traditional sense where uh, Tarantino tends to split things up by <laughs> moving back and forth across the timeline that it is jarring when you view it and so here it's just we need to realize that there are different people writing for different purposes and different styles right right and of course we don't believe that Tarantino was in, is inspired but anyway <laughs> uh, he might uh, Lyle does point out that Luke never says or never used the word before Christ's death, mm -hmm. right? It does not say the veil was torn right. before Christ's death, not even in Luke's yeah. uh, passage. Yeah. Right? And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. It right. makes it as a, as a mention. Yeah. yeah. So, yes, there's. Uh, they all agree that the veil was torn at the time that Christ died. That's when it was torn. When was it torn? When Christ died. Right, yeah. All right, number, where are we? Number uh, 115. 115. 115 says, when did the women, or woman, depending on which one you read, arrive at the sepulcher, at the, at the tomb? So this is um, Christ dead, and he's been uh, buried for three days, and the women are approaching. They um, are wanting to find someone to roll the giant stone away. Uh, they come upon it. So someone comes upon it. People come upon it and find that the, the rock, the boulder, has already been rolled away because uh, they wanted to anoint the body with oil. And lo and behold, they find that uh, it seems like Christ is risen. <laughs> but who who did it? When did it? How many of them did it? That's that's the, the big question. Yeah. So what's the fallacy here? What's the problem here? So this is fail to, failure to read the text carefully. And I, I think this is one we see a lot when we look at uh, quite contradictions, but... Uh, questions that people have about when uh, things are happening because this one tends to pop up a lot uh, also then when Mary goes gets to the apostles it seems like uh, the apostles arrive at a different time too <laughs> so luckily we're just we're, we're sticking with the, the women in this one yeah. so we need to read the text carefully as we usually should
And so, Lyle points out that all the Gospels report that this happened. Uh, the women arrived after the Sabbath, early in the morning on Resurrection Sunday. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's when it happened. Right. It happened after the Sabbath on, on Resurrection Sunday. So he suggests that maybe, or presumably, the critic is concerned about whether the women arrived before or after sunrise. Right. So maybe he suggests that's what's going on. So you have those passages pulled up there, man. We can take a look yeah. and see so, what uh, the issue is. John 21 is, now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So there it just mentions Mary Magdalene. Matthew 28, 1 says, Now after the Sabbath, towards the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. Mark 16, 1 through 2 is the final one, and that is when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him, and very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. So, is it Mary Magdalene? Is it Mary and the other Mary? Is it Mary, Mary, Salome, and... uh, the, the spices and yeah. is it before the sunrise is it after sunrise <laughs> yeah. is it you know so it, it looks like here what happened is uh there's no doubt he says that the women began their journey to the tomb while it was still relatively dark mm-hmm. right right and um but with it be- beginning to dawn says matthew uh, 28 and luke 4 so the paradox presumably consists in when they arrived <clears throat> excuse me John 1 suggests that the arrival was before sunrise. The, the sky is still being somewhat dark, mm-hmm. right? And Mark 16 indicates that it was uh, after or at least at sunrise, right? Matthew and Luke do not give the exact timing, right? Here's the issue. Um, notice that Mark 16, 2 indicates that they, that is Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Jesus, perhaps others, mm-hmm arrived at the tomb at at or after sunrise, whereas John 21 states only that Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark. Mm -hmm. So what's going on with that? Yeah. So either uh, Mary started out with them or met up with them at the tomb later, and she was there first to try and find someone to roll the boulder away. So uh, it's not, I, I don't know if we know that, she knows that uh, the guards are, are guarding the tomb. It uh, doesn't seem like when the Jews asked Pilate to put them in in uh, on guard that um, that the women were about that they knew. Um, they they might have known it after they had buried him, but uh, she might have gone early to to find a few people to help roll that away mm-hmm. um and she might pr- probably being younger um uh is able to go ahead or, yeah, or start yeah, from and, a different and, position and so I, that's uh and so that's the solution that lyle gives us right he says there's no contradiction between one woman arriving before sunrise mary magdalene mm-hmm. while the rest of her group arrived at or after sunrise so we could have different arrivals, and that seems to be what's being described here, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Mary Magdalene clearly was there, it says, before sunrise. Okay, fine. And the others were there at or around sunrise. So no contradiction. Right, yeah. right. Mm-hmm. All right, the next one is uh, one eighteen 
and one and one nineteen. Yeah. So we want to try to cover both of these the, together. The, okay. the cursed fig tree. Yeah, that's right. Let's yeah. deal with this cursed fig tree. So the issue <laughs> is, uh, when did the cursed uh, fig tree die? Right, mm-hmm. and then when did Jesus curse the fig tree? Mm-hmm. Right. So when did it die, and when was it cursed? Right. That's that's the issue. Yeah. And we, we see this one, I think, at least I see this one a lot when it comes to, I think, Muslim apologists trying to um, point out that um, Jesus isn't God because of this. Because he goes out to this fig tree, he looks at it, he goes, ah, oh, wh- wh- where's the fruit? Yeah. Well, it's not the right time for this fig tree to have fruit, so he curses it. And just lo and behold, it I guess it, it dies or, <laughs> or something happens to it, just so happens to be. But uh, it's it's an attempt to say um, Jesus was, wasn't God because he went out here expecting there to be fruit and um, and he doesn't see it and then he curses it and it withers and dies. So Yeah, so um, that's kind of like saying Jesus told a parable and the parable was not a true story, therefore <laughs> he doesn't tell the truth. Well, well wait a minute, yeah, right? <laughs> right. Yes, there, there's a specific reason he's talking at this fig tree. It's not yeah. just it's not just the the story's going along and he sees it and lo and behold, you know, on the way to the temple, he, he sees this fig tree and, and just... Out of the blue, they, says, yeah, yeah, I want some figs, this doesn't happen, I'm going to... Mark and Matthew yeah, just sorry. decide to, to write it down for whatever reason. And there's a specific purpose for, for this, and uh, I th- the, the spoilers aside, the spoiler of the story is that the, the fig tree represents um, Israel, and the, where it takes place, uh, the context surrounding it show exactly what Christ is doing to this fig tree as being a representative figure symbol for the unfruitful the, Israel. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And what was going to happen as a result of them being unfruitful. Right. Yep. Right. Yep. Yeah. The repercussions. So uh Lyle tells us that this is for you to read the the text carefully that the fig tree immediately withered somewhat when Christ cursed it. Mm-hmm. Right? That's the Matthew passage. Right. Matthew twenty one nineteen. Yep, he went, uh, went and found uh, nothing on it but only leaves. He says, may no fruit ever come to you again. And the fig tree withered at once. Withered. Notice it didn't say it died. It mm-hmm. just withered, right? right? So that's, uh, you know, it didn't wither completely or die at the time. It began to wither. So then the following morning, the tree had dried up completely from its roots, according to Mark uh, 11. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, so he curses it, and may no fruit ever uh, eat from you. Uh, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. The disciples heard it. Uh, there's a, uh, a temple visit, uh, which is part of our other question. And when they came out, um, the fig tree that you had cursed has withered, is what uh, Mark eleven twenty through twenty withered said. away, withered away to its roots. To its roots. Yes. In other words, now Verse it's 20. totally dead. Right. Right. Yeah. Yep. And uh, so, you know, he cursed it, it began to wither, and then the next day it was dead. Yeah, it yeah. just continued to wither to, yeah. to, to, to die. From the roots, right. yeah. So, so yeah, so so this is failure to read the text carefully. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when did he curse the fig tree? Well, again, what we see here is the failure to read the text carefully, mm-hmm. right? Um, uh, to only read Mark 11, uh, Lyle tells us, when we learn that uh, Jesus cursed the fig tree before he came to the temple and then to only read Matthew 21 we learn that Jesus cursed the tr- fig tree the day after his visit to the temple mm-hmm. so then which is correct did he curse it before or after 
So uh, Jesus cursed the fig tree on the morning of the day after his first temple visit. Then he goes and visits the temple again. So there's two temple visits with a visit to the fig tree in after the conclusion of uh, the first temple visit. So Jesus visited the temple twice. Which is something that you can do yourself. Yeah, you surprise, can surprise. Go to a, yeah. the, I, I've gone to Menards more than once yeah. in a single day, yeah. sometimes in a single half an hour yeah. because I've gotten the wrong thing or yeah. I've, I've, I've picked up or failed to pick up something. So so this is clearly failure yeah. to read the text carefully. Mm-hmm. He went there twice. That's what's going on. And, and I think this example, too, provides a, a really good example of why it's important to have a proper understanding of what exactly um, Scripture is. If, if you're a believer, then you believe in the whole counsel of God's, um, of God's command. And so by not reading the entire Bible, not by not viewing all verses as interlocked with each other, we get issues with this uh, yeah. um, failing so to read the text carefully. Rip out something out mm-hmm. of context right. and then try to add meaning right. to it without looking at what's going on, not only in the context, mm-hmm. but then with the rest of, especially in the gospel situation, with the rest of what the other gospels have to add on to what we're looking yeah. at. Or when we talk about theology and say, oh, okay, well, you know, Paul says this, but then over here he says this too. Well, which is it? Yeah. Well, the whole countenance of God's yeah. word is is full and complete, and we have to read it both in the context in which those verses reside and also in the greater context of Scripture itself. Yeah. We believe all of Scripture, not just piecemeal it. Yeah, good. All right. Number 120, when was the Holy Ghost given? Yeah. In Acts or in, um, you know, uh-huh. after Jesus... Um, um, uh, left in um, Mark, Luke, and so forth. Right? Mm-hmm. John says that the Holy Spirit was given before. It seems yeah. to indicate anyway. Right. And then the the uh, Acts clearly says that the Holy Spirit was given, poured out after Jesus had ascended. Right. That that's the one. Uh, Pentecost is the one where we come to know that the tongues of fire descend upon them. They start speaking in in tongues. Uh, they burst out of the, the locked room. Um, it's uh, the Passover. You have different Jews returning to Jerusalem at the at the um, uh, holy time, and they're hearing the tongues in their own native language, and they're you know thinking that the apostles are drunk, or um, they're amazed that they're hearing them in their own language. Uh, and so that that tends to be when we really put a. a, a, a staple of this is when the church age starts is right right here at pentecost right so and and i think that's important right to make that kind of distinction because the holy spirit as lyle points out is 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 god and so he's omnipresent so he's always been he's always operated yeah he's always operated he's always been uh on earth and including the old testament not just the new testament not just the new testament and so what we see in these passages is for instance in the john passage Jesus breathes on them and tells them to receive the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. right? But we don't see the Holy Spirit being poured out on all believers, mm-hmm. you know, as as then he beginning the work of 
of starting the church until the Acts uh, passage, right? Right. Yeah. And John... so we can have the the the, the uh, disciples being breathed on and receiving the Holy the preparation. Spirit. Yeah. Yeah. yeah sure. Before the the the, the big event, mm-hmm. the major event that happens, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, and and we see this too. Even in in the Old Testament, we see um, David is set aside, even though um, Saul has the the Holy Spirit on him. He's he's uh, before it's removed, so we still have David kind of set apart. He's being prepared by um, Nathan to lead and and be um, uh, God's chosen king in in that role. And so uh, here we have the preparation of the disciples by Jesus at the time of his resurrection, their first meeting, and he talks about how um, they're to um, kind of be his emissary and how they're supposed to act according to the spirit that he's promised them uh, when he's t- taught them in the in the um, in his ministry beforehand mm-hmm. and then um, the promise of when the spirit comes upon him they'll remember all these things and and be imbued with with um, power and also um, um, living by the spirit uh, in 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 Christ in in the in the kingdom of God yeah so yeah. this is this tends to be the one where it's like well this seems like they receive the spirit but they don't really because there's no there's no tongues of flame there's no speaking in tongues which is in the New Testament when these new people get kind of inducted into the church mm-hmm. um, you, you see that as kind of a covenant sign right, right. And, and, and we don't see that here in, in John 20 22 but I mean it's the risen Christ appearing to them was so really special. But, yeah, yeah. Um, there's no, there's no big extravagant. Yeah, you know, here's the Holy Spirit. It's a, it's a more of a preparation. For right, it. and so you know, and as you mentioned in the New Testament, people received the Holy Spirit. Right, the Holy Spirit came upon uh, Samson. And John the Baptist, him, John the Baptist, you know, while he was in his mother's womb. Yeah, so. about that. Saul, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. The, the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. came from him. So yes, the Holy Spirit has been, always been around, mm-hmm. and, and especially in the Old Testament time, what we see is he's, he comes upon people to empower them to do a certain specific thing or to accomplish right. some things. Well, even when Christ carries out his ministry, he he, he empties himself of deity and uh, takes a form of bond servant, and that servitude is to do the things not by his own power but by the power of the spirit so that he acts as the 100% god and 100% man right. so he was both us. not not yeah. that he stopped being right, god right, right? right he didn't stop no. being god yeah no and so. and we clearly see that right. but the the work that he does is from the direct power of the spirit in subjection to the Father. Yeah, and and that's really clear, for instance, in a passage like Matthew chapter 4 when he's going through the temptation. Mm-hmm. Notice, he is acting as as any man could do. How do you defeat temptation? How do you defeat the devil? Well, you do it through the Word, mm-hmm. right? And so he did that without using, we might say, his supernatural abilities right he right. he defeated satan on, on the mount of uh i mean on the in the temptation mm-hmm. as a man can defeat satan right right, right. Uh, to to be an example for us because we 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 are not god uh, clearly and so we are indwelt with the spirit ourselves and that's how we are to interact and act and react and um uh, mortify ourselves and all these things so christ is that example here on earth and that's one of a big reason that it that christ comes in human form as well and at the baptism showing that 
you know, this is my beloved son who I'm well pleased, showing subjection to the father and then the, the Holy Spirit coming upon him as a as a, a physical sign of this is how he's going to be doing the work of the father. Right. So the issue then was when was the Holy Spirit given? Lyle says this is equivocation, mm-hmm. right? Given in what sense? Right. Clearly he, he's he been being given throughout the Old Testament and even in this John uh, twenty twenty two passage. <laughs> but he is given in terms of creation of the church, the foundation of the church, the birth of the church mm-hmm. in Acts yeah. chapter 2. That's when the Holy Spirit is poured out. And now all believers have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit indwells in us. He seals us. He does all these various ministries within us when he was poured out on it. So something drastically changed, Mm -hmm. right? Yes, there were times when people received the Holy Spirit before that, Mm -hmm. but during the Acts time, something drastically changed. The (laughs) church was born, Mm -hmm. right? Right. Yeah, and so that's when when the Holy Spirit was poured out um, uh, as in terms of um, the the new uh, church being born. All right, well, you know, uh, how about we... uh, pick this up next time and kind of take a look at a few more of these time ones that he is working us through. Yeah, yeah, that sounds good. Um, we're going to be covering the crucifixion uh, in the next ones and uh, a few more in the, the New Testament because it seems to be uh, that's where kind of things get jumbled around when, we, when we're when we talking about different time frames. So, um, yeah, this this would be a good point to stop and, and rest and take a breather. Yeah, yeah, All great. Right. We'll see you next time. Yeah. Thank you for uh, visiting with us. Yeah.